0: All right, well, we're going to be digging deep today. I feel like, man, just we are on such an amazing uh, track of just this season of God and what he's doing. And, and I just, I feel like we gotta remember that sometimes as we embrace God, as we experience God, as we enjoy what he's doing in our lives. And which I feel like I have been with our church here. There's been, the God's been doing so many great things. We have to remember that every time we get momentum, the enemy's looking for ways to, to slow that down. And he will never come in front of you and put up this wall that says, sorry, you can't come through. Cause it'd be super obvious. You'd be like, well, Obviously, I need to bust through that because the enemy is trying, you know, that's what the enemy wants. I want what God wants. The enemy will always try and come around and sneak through some backdoor way to try and distract you, to try and weigh you down, to try and discourage you, to try and uh, make you afraid or trying to, trying to make you angry or proud or some something in life will come in that we won't recognize as the enemy and he'll want to have his way. And so um, as we step into the next series here and what God's doing with our church, I just feel like it's so important for us to remember, Remember that, that we can continually embrace that power of God we were talking about already this morning and say, God, we say yes to you and and we reject anything that the enemy would want to do in our lives to hold us back from your fullness and your best and all of who you are, Lord. And so last week we finished up. You heard from Pastor Kevin and, and Keith Austin. They were able to come up and close out our last series that was called God Never Said That. And they were debunking the Christian myth that. Money is the root of all evil, right? Money is awesome. God wants to bless us so that we can be generous. If we fall in love with money and we pursue money, right? That's what we're talking about. If we start getting selfish and fearful and controlling over this thing, and that becomes what we worship more than God, well, then that's what's out of balance. Not the sub, not the not the material item of money itself. God can use that, right? We can bless seven hundred kids with school supplies because people have the generosity to give of them of their finances. That God blessed them with, right? That's good. But it was just another, another part of that series we finished where we just talked about all these ways that we hear from God and his word or we've believed something we thought was from his word and it got misconstrued and we believe some sort of false truth about life or about God or about the, the Bible um, that was that was not the, the fullness of the real truth. We, f- we focus on how easy it is to get confused about God and his word, right? And we can believe the wrong thing if we're not careful. And so today I want to remind you as we jump into what we have here today is that it's so important that we actually read the Bible for ourselves. All right? I've heard people say, oh, you can't possibly know that about God or you can't, you can't really under, you know, understand everything that's in there. Well, yeah, you can. You can read it and you can get to know it. And, and that's why, that's probably why a lot of people go to church. Because not only is there fellowship and there's worship and connecting with God, but it's helpful to learn more about what's in his Bible and grow ourselves as believers. And so we need to we need to be able to take that with us and throughout our day, throughout our weeks, be able to dig into that for ourselves as well. That's why we do life groups so that as you're learning about who God is and what's in his word, you have people in relationship with you that are believers who you can say, Hey, how are you? What are you doing with this? What do you think about about this first. Hey, I feel like God's been challenging me on this. Or, hey, I don't think this is right. What do you think, right? We got to do life together. We do church on Sundays. We do life groups all week. We got to dig into the word throughout the week as as well so that we can know what the real truth is. Because God makes it available to us, right? Thousands of pages over thousands of years old gives us the opportunity to be able to get to know God, to get to know his word. We have to know what's in there. Listen to this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love this passage, it's so good. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and here's your favorite part, and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Maybe that's why it's hard to want to read in the Bible sometimes. I don't want to know what's wrong in my life. I don't really want to talk about that. I'd rather not go there. (laughs) It corrects us when we are wrong, another favorite part, and teaches us to do what is right. I think sometimes in life we get a little jaded by hearing what's wrong because either somebody has pointed out what's wrong or we've seen what's wrong but we have no solution for it. And so we've either been railed on by, by a family member or a friend or a coworker, or someone even in, maybe in, the, in a church in our past. We've heard this is wrong, this is wrong, can't do that. And someone's railed on us but they haven't, they haven't walked us from what was off into the truth of what is right because God's word always leads us into what is right right? It's never about condemnation. It's about finding life, right? That's why in our, our church purpose statement, we want to know God so that we can find freedom. And that freedom leads us to discover our, our, our purpose and make a difference, right? There's freedom from the word of God, from getting to know him. So it teaches us what to do what's right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's our purpose, make a difference, to be able to take the truths of God and know him more and more. So when we walk out in this earth, we are different because you can't make a difference unless you're different than the world. And I'm not saying like just flat out tell the world I'm rejecting you and go hide and live in a cave and be that that kind of Christian. I'm saying we need to represent God so that the world sees the difference. And they don't see that part that just corrects them in what's wrong, but it shows what real life looks like, what real love looks like, what real grace and mercy and truth looks like. Right? That's that's the difference that we're to make in this world, and it's only through knowing God's work. Have you guys ever watched like a documentary or a, you know, some of you're like <laughs> you said the D word? You know, have you ever watched a show about like treasure hunting? I I was on I was I checked out the I don't I don't know if I'm like how I'm how I'm feeling about this show yet, but I watched the first episode of this series called The Curse of Oak Island. Anybody watched that one? And I'm I'm like okay I I don't really know this is, you know there's so many things and stuff like that. But as as you think about like a treasure hunting show you're watching these people who don't have all the answers trying to find something but there's never they never land on anything concrete they always discover that through this this Maybe this means something, and then it leads me to something else. Well, maybe that means something, and they're kind of circling, but they never like, hey, look what we found. This means that. We got it. It's never concrete. It's always kind of floating out there a little bit. It's intriguing, but they never seem to find what they're looking for. It's always this elusive effort to, to know what's there, but they can never really find what's really there. And, you know, I believe that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can feel that way about the Bible, Like there's this massive amount of treasure hidden within God's word, but it's so elusive and I don't know where to start. And this thing just, this clue that I find about God just leads me to this part. And it's easier to almost just assume that I I don't need to read it because I'll never understand it anyway. And it's just this big treasure hunt that's elusive. And that's, it's intriguing, but I'd rather, I'd rather just talk to people who have found their treasure in it and learn from that because I don't really know what I'm doing here. And I think these treasure hunters on these shows, they have tons of resources, but even they still don't always know what they're doing. They know, they know how to try the next effort, but it doesn't, they don't really know what they're looking for quite fully in, with all their investment. But the Bible is actually meant to point out concrete evidence about who God is and how we get to live our lives in a way that, that that's that's full of freedom, and purpose, and difference, right? That's the cool part of this. And so, uh, that the the Bible is meant not to be this elusive, intriguing mystery. It's meant to be shared and known fully. And even the Bible talks about that we as believers get to know the mysteries of God. They don't remain mystery. He he shares it with us. There's times when we read something that may seem a little mysterious. If it does and you're like, this is confusing, know that God wants you to understand. And maybe it's through prayer or maybe through reading it again or coming back later in life and reading that same verse. You know, maybe, maybe sometimes you're reading something, you don't quite get it. Maybe a year later, you read that same thing, you're like, why didn't I have never seen this before? Or that's, again, in a life group or a church or with, with a friend. You, sometimes God will use other means to help us uncover it, but it's always there. You can always find the truth of what's hidden in Scripture. It's, you're, there's, there's never anything missing, Right? Everything we need is in here. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and realize what's wrong in our lives, right? But how often do we encounter people who don't trust the credibility of God's word? And maybe you've either been there before yourself or maybe you're there right now, right? Right? How can it be accurate? It's been translated and rewritten so many times in so many different languages. There's so many versions out there. You know, NLT, NIV, NKJV, NBA, NFL, no. Those aren't those aren't real ones. <laughs> You know, it was, it was written for a different culture, a different type of people, for a different season. You know, so many years ago, that time period, there was, yeah, the world was different, the people were different, the church was different. Like, how could that still be for us, right? And if Jesus loves me and I'm forgiven, why would I need to know anything else anyway? Because even if I don't live by it, Jesus still loves me. Right? Or you know, I think there's this disdain almost for why would I need to know it? Or it's too confusing, or it's almost this give up mentality on God's word, despite the fact that if we just go looking, we always find treasure. Right? Like if if someone told me there is a guarantee, you are guaranteed to find treasure if you go dig in this field. I don't think I'd be like, well, my hands are tired, I don't feel like digging with my shovel, or there's a lot of rocks. You know, like if there's treasure, I'm going to get it, because how many of you guys would love to find buried treasure? <laughs> That'd be awesome. It's for sure in the Bible. It's, you are always guaranteed to find the treasure of God's truth, of, of who he is and what he can show you in this life. So why do we, why do we get away from that and think that it's just overwhelming or, or we just can't do it, right? So today we're starting a new series called 1 John. Really obvious where we're going with this series, right? We want to dig into this book of 1 John and just uncover more truths of God's word and and learn how to live by God's truth instead of getting caught up in the world's way. Right, We feel like God is really calling us to dig into this book, especially after that series where we we talked about how easy it is to fall into the trap of thinking something else is truth that's not really from God. We want to know what is from you, Lord? What's the value of your word? What what are we getting when we follow you, when we dig into your truths and all that? So today, we're specifically going to be talking more about chapter 1 and this concept of trusting in God's word. And we're going to explore why we can trust the Bible as truth today. As well as how it can bring so much value to our lives. And more accurately, we're gonna look at four evidences of the accuracy of the Bible, right? My dad and I have gone to the Men's No Regret Conference in Elmbrook from time to time. I, we always like when Jay Seegert's there, the creation guy, and he gives in all these details about how you can prove that the Bible is true, that creation is real, like all this stuff. And it's, isn't that fun? Like when you can dig in and you can just be reminded of how accurate God is and his word and the, the history of the Bible and all that. And so we're gonna look at the four evidences of the accuracy of the Bible, of God's word, of his truth. And so the first one is that the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate, meaning it's not a fairy tale. Someone didn't write the Bible just to give people some good metaphors to live by so they can avoid destructive behaviors and just live in safer behaviors of some kind. I mean, I, at one point before I was a Christian, I always wondered that. I never believed necessarily one way or the other, but like, you know, because the Bible is full of so much information. Could it be that some of it was, you know, no, it is historically accurate, right? And so there's three ways on this, on this, on this evidence of historical accuracy. I want to I define for you three ways that you can know something is historically accurate. There are eyewitness accounts to prove when something is historically accurate, right? Prove it to me, right? Something is more likely to be real if there are a lot of people who can vouch that it really happened. Well, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you know that over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead? If you talk to 500 people who saw something, you'd be like, okay, there's probably some pretty good chances that that actually happened. You know, the Bible has around 40 authors. There's some of that, a couple of those in, books in there that might be a little debated. Um, but around 40 authors who have written the Bible over a 2,000-year period, and it originated between three different continents, Right? And the, the, the truths within that word that have all come together over that period of time from that many people from that many continents, it all flows together. There are no contradictions. Now, if you read this part and this part and you don't understand the, the context of some of it, you may be led to believe there's a contradiction, but there's not. Everything flows together. Everything in God's word connects in ways that, that weave it through to show that the heart of God and, and who his character is and what he has planned throughout the history of the world. It's so amazing. So let's look in the actual book here, 1 John, starting in chapter 1, verse 1 here. So we get the Apostle John writes, I love this, again on this eyewitness thing. He, he shares this here. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. I'm like, hey, we've heard this and we've seen this. So what we're telling you is, is coming from us directly. We've seen it. Like, it's not just something that's a rumor. It's a legend. No, we know, Right? We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. right? He's like, I'm an eyewitness. I've got these other people around me. We're all eyewitnesses and we're sharing with you. We're spreading the truth because we've seen it. We've heard it. We know it. God showed us himself, right? And so... The, the cool part, I want to remind you of this today. We, we touched on this a little Thursday night in Breakthrough. By the way, it was so awesome. We had this whole room packed out with people worshiping the Lord and just coming before him Thursday night. But if, if, you're, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are a professor of, the, of faith that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, if you believe in your heart that, that Jesus is, if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead and you are saved, then you should share this same testimony with the Apostle John and and his followers who are sharing the truths of Jesus Christ. Because to be saved, you can only discover and say yes to salvation when you're encountered by the, the power of the living God, the Holy Spirit at work in your life. So a person can't persuade you to just believe the accuracy of something is truthful because now you're you're basically a believer of so and so who's a believer of Jesus Christ, right? You yourself, to be a believer means you have trusted and believed fully in God himself, which means you've experienced God in some kind of way. Or you have understood his truths to be accurate in some kind of way. And, and, and you have felt him personally call you and connect to your heart in a way that's different than just someone else trying to, to, to persuade you of it, right? If there's a there's a truth within your own heart. And so if if we're believers, we had to have encountered him at some point. So we get to actually share the same testimony that the Apostle John has. We've seen it. We've experienced it of who God is. And so that's what we're here to do is continue to experience him, to dig into his word and find those truths. And... The historical accuracy can be proven if we look throughout Scripture at how many people have been eyewitnesses of all the things of God and of Jesus Christ. So you have eyewitness accounts and to know the historical accuracy of something, it needs to be recorded and copied with extreme care. So it's not just like, a, hey, I found this rough draft of something and like it's just lasted forever. Though there's something that's, that's dissected and it's... And it's, um, it's You know, put through the testing of so much of so many filters over time of of that accuracy of being able to be recorded that way. The Apostle John continues in verse five of the same chapter here. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Right? So he's not making up a new message, he's saying, I'm passing on what Jesus told me. Right? What we're coming here to tell you, that you know, he's coming with this group there. They're all teaching. They're leading this church. Just saying, look, I didn't make this up. I'm just telling you what God told me. I'm just pointing you to the word, right? That's, that's uh, you, uh, you know, when, when you encounter that truth, I think there's times when, when we dig into God's word and someone else is trying to share with us the word, we can feel a little pressured on something. But it's like, hey, if someone's just telling you what God said, then your, your, your interaction's not with that person. It's with God himself. But when you look at these passages, when you look at the Bible, God entrusted his word to be written by people who were very meticulous. You specifically look at the apostles and the disciples. Man, Luke was a physician. He wasn't allowed to overlook details. That would be very bad, (laughs) right? (laughs) Matthew, he was a tax collector. That means he worked with money. And the money he was collecting was not for him, it was for somebody else. He'd be in big trouble if he messed up on the details, he was trained to look at the details to not miss anything john andrew and peter now you could say well they were just fishermen right well they were fishermen but they also they were they were what you would consider today being business owners. They actually hired and trained other people. They had to lead other people. The success of their income and their finances was reliant upon not only how much fish they could catch, but how they could train others to be a part of their business to catch fish, to know how to do everything right, to know how to pay attention to all the details, right? And the book of Mark, so Mark was an evangelist, but scholars believe the book of Mark to be the oldest and most detailed of the four gospels. Right? God is entrusting his word not to just any Joe Schmo out in the street to say, hey, you'll do. Like He's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find those that will relay what is truthful and what is accurate and what is, what is really there. Jewish scribes, those whose jobs it was to continually record the word, to make copies of it, you know, they, they weren't transcribing word by word like we would think today. You know, like, so, so Jamie being not only a worship director by administrator, if I said, hey, can you take this and rewrite it and transcribe something? She'd probably be like, okay, well, I want to get all the words right on that. The, the Jewish scribes were trained to go letter by letter because they weren't just typing on a computer where all the letters look the same. You know, they were taking handwriting and they were copying things down. They were making sure everything was accurate down to the most minute detail. Of, of copying the word of God, right? So we've got historic, you know, we've got eyewitnesses, we've got the accuracy of being recorded and copied with extreme care, and then there's also archaeological confirmation to prove something something's historical accuracy. And there are people constantly digging around Jerusalem and throughout Israel. I just read the other day, they think they found another church from the early, you know, Fourth or fifth century of the church of Peter and Andrew or something, which I don't know if Peter and Andrew actually, they didn't start the church, it was created in honor of them in some way, which maybe is too elaborate, I don't, know, I don't know if God would want us all to be honored with a church building in our, you know, like, like we have, we're some big deal or whatever, but they're just constantly finding stuff. And scholars actually study, when they're finding archaeological evidence, they're actually studying the history of these pieces in a way where when they also study scripture, they find that this stuff is congruent. It works together. It, it doesn't, it, they don't find something and go, oh wow, this this disproves the Bible. They say, wow, this actually fits what the Bible says. This item, right? Um, and like the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found in this cave up on a big kind of dirt mountain area. This big cave opened up. They found all these scrolls. Now the scrolls in themselves. I, don't worry about reading them. They're not the divine true word of God, but they have a historical, you know, accuracy to them. And they were handwritten by somebody back in the same time as like Isaiah. They, I think they, I think the Dead Sea Scrolls reference the book of Isaiah in them. And so, you know, imagine finding something that old that's referencing scripture and, and how much that, that truth is spreading throughout that time. But those scrolls, you know, they reaffirm the accuracy of the Bible. They 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 don't they don't refute what God's word says. And so they're finding inscriptions, artifacts, remains, city locations. They continue to uncover the accuracy of the history of God's word. In 2010, I was blessed with the opportunity to take a tour trip to Israel, and I got to stand in the rubble of a Small town called Corazine. And if you go read the word, if you go read God's Bible and you look up what what Jesus says about Corazine, he says, Woe to you, Corazine, because you did not believe in the miracles of God. You do not believe what I'm here to tell you. And so woe to you. He basically kicks the dust off his feet and moves on and curses that city. That's why when I went to visit, I'm standing in a pile of rubble because that city didn't last. It was cursed. And like just standing in that rubble of, of these remains that they found of this city, is like, wow, this, this, there's no wonder why this city didn't make it, why it failed. It was cursed by God. It actually matched what the scripture says. There's things that they find that work together with what the Bible says. So we, the Bible is historically accurate, right? That's one of the four evidences that we can know how true the, the word is. There's historical accuracy because there's eyewitnesses, it's been carefully passed on, and there's physical evidence from archaeological findings. So another evidence uh, to prove the accuracy of the Bible in addition to historical accuracy is that the Bible is scientifically accurate. This is another, another fun one. The history and the science of the Bible. There's so, so much cool stuff you guys can find on this. So I hope that I'm intriguing you with some of this today. So, you know, you can go watch those documentaries you love so much. Find, find more about the accuracy of God's word, right? But some people actually like to use the, the, the idea of science as an alternative to the Bible. To disprove God or to, to kind of come against the word of the Lord. But the reality is that God created science. So science actually confirms the accuracy of the Bible and confirms the power of God, right? Just looking at creation, it's so amazing. Um, it's, just, it's just incredible to me how some would want to take the creation to disprove the creator. It's like, well, you know, that, that skyscraper in that big city... I don't think that that this guy really designed it, his, his architectural skills, because what I, I really think happened is you know if you, if you look at the if you look at the science of the elevator, you know, back in the day, like you know animals would use vines to go up and down something, and so I think the vine actually evolved into a cable, and it turned into this you know the branch on the tree lowered, but it was stuck to the brine, to the vine, and eventually over time, the wood hardened and turned into metal, and eventually buttons formed, and it's like, you no, know, like. The building was designed by somebody who had made it for a very purpose because there's safety issues. You got to have fire code. There's elevators for a reason. I don't want to walk up 25 flights of stairs. You know, maybe sometimes we should walk up 20 flights of stairs. But every detail was created for a purpose and for a reason. Because an architect and a builder, they're going to, you know, Ryan, you're a builder. Everything you want to do is with an investment because, look, I'm putting my time, I'm putting my energy into this thing. I want to know that this is going to be the best possible thing created. And that's what God has done. Psalm 148, verses 5 and 6 says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. So just because you say the word science and you don't believe in God doesn't mean you can come against who God is. If anyone who loves science inadvertently loves God, even if they don't know it, because God created the science behind our world. God created the entire universe, so it means he created the natural laws that govern the universe. He created that black hole that they're studying so, so far away, right? God created it all. It's only our understanding that has actually grown and developed over time. Or should I say, our misunderstanding of God's creation, right? So many, so many things throughout history, it's like, oh, well, people used to believe it's God because they didn't have any better answers. But now that we have science, now we can prove where that came from. Well, the science should lead us more to God instead of saying, well, now we just figured it out. I think, there's, I think those that embrace science but not God are actually just embracing a level of pride, because they're, they're taking ownership over something God actually created and saying, you know, this was mankind's discovery, or this was a natural thing that couldn't be of the Lord. God made it, and it's beautiful. But, but we've misunderstood it for so long. Scientists used to think that the earth was flat up until about 1492, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, how many cliff climbers would love to scale down to the bottom? <laughs> like, I'm on the bottom of the world, right? Listen to this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. It says, God sits above the circle of the earth. And in the, yeah, okay, so a flat earth could be seen as a circle, but in the original Hebrew language, the word used for circle there actually means sphere. God was right all along. The book of Isaiah was written, yeah, Bill's getting it like, oh, this is awesome. The, the book of Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus even came, which was over 2,000 years ago now. So for thousands of years, God was telling the truth about his creation. And it took until 1492 to go, oh, yeah, God was right, <laughs> right? I mean, we have misunderstood, but God's been right all along. Scientists used to think that the world had to be held up by something, Right? Like, the the world can't just be in the middle of nowhere. Something has to hold the world in place. I mean, I think of like a globe. It's on a pole. Or maybe there it's on a string, and something's keeping it from falling into the abyss of nothingness. But listen to this in Job 26, verse 7. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. God's telling the truth, isn't he? And he's showing his truth throughout his creation. There used to be a scientist who once believed that he had counted all the stars in the sky and believed that there was a total of 1,026 stars up in the sky. There they are. I found them all. I've got it, guys. I found the whole number of stars, right? That's got to be really hard, by the way. Because if there, this must have been on the flat Earth mentality, because if the earth's, earth's rotating, there's stars on the other side of the world too. Must have been in flat Earth mentality. Uh, but listen to this in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-two: the stars of the sky cannot be counted. God's like, are you listening to me? <laughs> I'm, tell- I'm going to tell you everything about what whatever you need to know. <laughs> Scientists today are still finding new stars, new planets, new solar systems, new galaxies, new black holes, new radio wave frequencies, new dark matter. Oral waves, I don't even know what, I, what all what science. Sometimes I wonder when scientists are finding out in space, I'm like, is, is that a real thing or is there a hypothesis that they're just hoping is going to land somewhere? I don't know, but they're discovering an infinite amount of stuff out there, right? Another, another time, uh, another season in the history of our world, uh, scientists used to believe that too much blood would actually make you sick. So George Washington, you remember that, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> love you, Bill. <laughs> you got you know you have a close friendship with somebody when you can rib them like that. <laughs> hey, I hear Pastor Kevin was ribbing on me last week about my landscaping passion. So we all we, we love each other when we rib on each other. It's good. <laughs> so George Washington actually died from a medical procedure they used to call bloodletting where they would think if you were too sick, getting rid of some of your blood would help remove the sickness because you must be within your blood somewhere. And so George Washington died from this. He actually lost half his blood in a matter of three hours. And scientists now believe that he must have only had strep throat. <laughs> Can you believe that? Well, I think you just have too much blood. Let's get some of that out of there. Right? Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. The life... Of the body is in its blood, <laughs> man. Nowadays, people get transfusions to replace, un, you know, to replace loss of blood to get more blood when they when they've lost things or or you know they've there there are like. Dialysis, transfusions, there's all kinds of stuff out there to promote a full level of healthy blood within someone's body to maintain life, right? It's, it's not what they thought it used to be, and God's word has highlighted the truth of that. People throughout, throughout history, you know, whether it was the Civil War or even before that, people would think, you know, why are people always getting sick? There's all these plagues, people are dying, there's illnesses, all this death coming. What's going on? They didn't know about germs, Right? People did not know anything about germs. They didn't know that there was something you can't see that can actually contaminate your body and cause sickness, cause illness, and all that. But Listen to this in Leviticus 13.4. It says, you know, when someone's sick, when they're dealing with an ailment, it says, the priest will quarantine the person for seven days. So they realized, look, there's something here that we can't see going on with this person. We need to remove them so God can deal with this and cleanse them of something beforehand. And, uh, you know, my dad and I went and saw Jay Seager, this again, this creationist guy at, at the, no Reg- the No Regrets Conference in Elmbrook, the men's conference. He was actually, I can't remember which verse it was. I have to look this up again, but I'm just remembering this as I'm talking here. He was giving uh, the, the historical references throughout Scripture of the ingredients that God told the Israelites in the desert to use use for cleansing and he said if you take those same ingredients today and put them together what do you get soap so people didn't know there was germs they didn't know what soap was they just said oh we'll just take this thing that God tells us to do and it just works because it's God God was actually giving them the ingredients for soap in the Old Testament God knew what he was doing he knew how to cleanse people he knew how to deal with the things of science over the years right now, the book of Leviticus, you may think is boring sometimes, but think of it like you're going to med school and it's your textbook. The book of Leviticus, it may not be the most exciting thing, but if you want to see the accuracy of how God knew how to deal with the health and the, and the, the well-being of his people, there's stuff, there's just full of stuff in there that is so accurate scientifically when it comes to that. Psalm 12:6 says, "The Lord's promises are pure, like silver, refined in a furnace, purified seven times over." God knew what He was doing when He created the world, And he's very specific when giving the accurate details of that in His word, right? Another evidence of the accuracy of the Bible, and there's history, there's science, but also the Bible's trusted by Jesus Christ Himself. So if we've encountered God and become believers and said, "I trust Jesus fully, then you have to know that Jesus Found all his truth in the word of God. I mean, he was God, so he, you know, was, the word was him. He was the word. But he, he pointed to the accuracy of the scriptures. Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So let me tell you this. Let me ask you this question. If we say we love and trust Jesus, shouldn't we also love and trust the Bible? Shouldn't we also, if we want to have a value for being in relationship with Jesus, shouldn't we have a value for knowing the same truths and the same word that he did? Right? He pointed to the truth of the word. Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything that he does. When he was combated with the enemy, he said, It is written. That was his way to defend the attacks of Satan on him when he was fasting in the desert. It is written. He pointed to the scriptures. He pointed to the truth. Everything was about the truth of God's word, right? So we, we can't pick and choose from the Bible. We can't settle on just, well, I can't know it all. Or I've only because I know this part, I'm just going to go on that alone. Or I don't think that I like that part, so I'm just going to focus on this part and not, try and not try and discover more, right? We can't pick and choose from God's word. Because if you reject any part of God's word, you're actually rejecting God himself. Because it's, it's living, it's active. He's breathed it into existence. It all points to him, right? It's, it's part of who God is. Another evidence of the accuracy of the Bible, in addition to history, science, and Jesus' own testimony, is that the Bible has transforming power. When we read God's truths, when we follow his word, we see real life change so many of us here today because we've seen God work in our lives. We've seen his truths fulfilled in our lives. We've seen his promises upheld in different ways. Let's go back and continue chapter 1, pick up where we left off, First John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says, we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness, right? We don't know the truth. We're just going to go back to just do whatever we think based on either what feels good or what someone else said or what the world says, right? We're lying if we have fellowship with God, but we keep living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, I feel like people twist this truth, and that's why they say, Well, I don't have to worry about my sin because God's got it. Well, yeah, you have to worry about it. But when you confess it and you admit that it's there and then you hand it over to the Lord, then he can take it and turn it into something beautiful. He can lead you into the truth, right? Sometimes I think uh, people want to ignore the truth because, well, I just don't have to worry about it. I don't have to live by it. I don't even have to think about my sin because Jesus loves me. But God's saying, if we confess our sin, we still, there, there's still a level of repentance that I believe we reject because in some point in time in history, people use that word repent as a way to attack each other versus saying, hey, guess what? Repentance is really just an honest humility with God. Repentance is you just being able to come before the Lord and say, God, I admit that I've got some failures. I admit that I messed up. I admit that I don't know it all, God, and I need you. That's true repentance. True repentance isn't like, ah, confess this, or you're going to, you know where. Like, I feel like that word repentance, we we don't even want to think about repentance because we just feel, we feel like we get this image of somebody just judging us. There's the J word. We're so afraid of being judged and condemned, but the reality is God's word points us to the truth. So if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. But I know in those moments when I've come before the Lord and I've just been humbly honest and repentant before him... I have felt the release of the weight of the guilt and the condemnation. I have felt him literally take those things and wash me clean. The transformative power of living by the truth of God's word and and, and admitting that we need him and that we have to come before him and receive what he's got for us, right? Now, if I read this seen the the truths in that passage that I just read to you right like oh you've got to confess before the Lord, if you just heard me telling you that truth out on the street and you didn 't know that it came from the Bible, it would sound pretty harsh and it would maybe sound a little judgmental because of the way the world likes to kind of put this barrier between the the way we live and what god 's word says, and oh don't go there don't don't offend somebody by by telling them that they're maybe what they're doing isn 't right, if it feels good that then then that's their version of right well you know, that's that's where the world likes to throw in that judgmental word to create a, a, a disclaimer so that I can just live how I want and, and I don't, I don't want to be offended. You know, God forbid we offend anybody nowadays. It's, it's so hard to really live by the word. But again... The truth, when it lands in the place that it's supposed to in our hearts, when it's, when it's transformative, when it comes, it's from God. It's not from somebody shoving it down our throats. It's from people who love us, helping make, it, make us aware of what God's truth says, but not just because we're in something wrong, but because there's more transformation to happen. There's more freedom that we get to have. There's more life that we get from the truths of his word. But again, me just telling you what's in Scripture today, Similar, similar to last week, Kevin and Keith talking about money. A lot of times when we talk about things that people don't want to hear, we're not telling you what we just made up. We're just telling you what's in the word. Just like John. Hey, I'm just telling you what I've heard from God himself, what's in his, his word on this. John chapter 8, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Doesn't that sound good? Like if I'm going to know this truth, I want to know that it's going to set me free. I want to know that it's leading to something, right? If I'm going to give up my way and be willing to humble myself and confess my, my failures before the Lord, my shortcomings before the Lord, if I'm going to, if I'm even willing to let God take my hopes and dreams and change them if he needs to, to be something different than maybe I wanted all along for myself, if I'm going to go all in, then, God, I, I need to know that you're going to do something great with this. God's saying, look, you can trust me. My word is truth. You can trust my word. You can trust me, the Father. You can trust my son. You can trust the Holy Spirit. I'm, it's, it's accurate. It's full. It's truth. All right? So as we continue this series over the, over the next month, as, we ha- as the rest of the summer, it's not that far away, <laughs> the rest of the summer, it's coming quick, but as we continue this series, right, we need to remember that God's word is true and it's accurate so that we can trust in it because we're going to dig into to more of what we can get out of the word of God. Specifically, we're going to dig into 1 John here, but we really need to know the truths in God's word to truly live.